Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. At the eighth mile, she's leading Mo Butner at the finish line. Stripes Cameron Caruso for the first time, 6.592. On this episode, we kick off the 2024 season talking about all manner of subjects and Tony Pedragon's the guest. And there goes Gage Herrera. Vinny, Vini, Vici. He came, he saw, he conquered. Remembering legends, ownership controversies, and more coming up next. Chad Green's out first by a bunch. They get to the finish line. Stripe, and it's Chad Green. 391-6 on a whole shot. A 33 line. This is the NHRA Insider. Into the night they go. And the wind light comes off for Dakota. 367-3, 334 miles an hour. Hey everybody, welcome to the 2024 season. Welcome to the first episode of the 2024 NHRA Insider. We produced over 50 episodes of this show in 2023 and we're hoping to keep up the same pace here in 2024. I'm your host, Brian Loans. We'll be joined by my guest today, Tony Pedragon, in just a few minutes as we come off what is really the only kind of true, actual moment of time where we get to take a deep breath and step away from drag racing for a half a second and that is the Christmas break. And really this year we didn't even get that. And I'm not complaining about it. It's one of the few times in the last several years we have had actual news break over the winter um I don't gotta kinda call it solstice, but over the winter break of NHRA drag racing. Typically um the Christmas to New Year's time frame is a, a time where everything is quiet. Uh, people are on vacation. People are with family. You know how it goes. Hopefully some of you uh, were able to, or most of you were able to have that type of uh, time over the last week, or at least some of that time. Um, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about coming into this 2024 season and really coming out of a, a, a winter uh, break that was anything but quiet. Um, we have some folks, legends that we have to remember, of course, the passing of Roland Leung, the passing of Don Schumacher, uh, Mike Kopchak of Rage Fuel Systems, that's a name that's going to come up when we talk to Tony, a guy that had um, incredible vision as a machinist and really did a lot of work for many teams. We're going to talk about what impact that may have. The guy was a fuel system genius. Uh, Sherm Gunn passed away, an NHRA racer that many of you hardcore fans out there know the name Sherm Guns, uh, Gunn. Rather. Um, Cale Yarbrough in the world of NASCAR, he passed away. So it was really um, a tough couple of weeks as far as uh, – notable passings in the sport of drag racing. Jill DeFerrin passed away, the great IndyCar racer. It's a guy who still holds the closed course land speed record, if you will, at 241 miles an hour set out there at the sprawling, now former California Speedway in an IndyCar about 20 years ago. Uh, along with that, we had news come out from two separate teams and um, you know, in the interest of fair reporting, I had and am still working to speak with Tony Schumacher formally on this show about all this stuff. Um, but what we know is this. An announcement came out first from JCM Racing, the team that is owned by Joe Maynard. And that announcement said that they were going to streamline their operation for 2024. They were going back to their roots, so to speak. Tony Schumacher is racing for them. Tony Schumacher is running the full season. As best we know, Ida Zetterstrom and her plans to relocate to the United States, her plans to become a developmental driver and then a full-time racer in 2025 are still intact. But we do know this. We know that Skag Power Equipment will not be on that race car. And this is a big deal for several reasons. One, um, you know, in my understanding of this situation to this moment, which is on January 2nd of 2024, 
Uh, this was not necessarily some sort of a, you know, mutually just just kind of agreed upon situation. I know Tony Schumacher is um, is a bit beside himself regarding the whole thing. Of course, he was the guy that um, that brought Skag into the sport of drag racing, and now he will be without Skag in 2024. Now, following the JCM announcement, several days later, an announcement came out from Skag Power Equipment stating that they would field a factory team in 2024. Now, this factory team will, of course, carry their sponsorship colors. It will be Dave Richards wearing the Versatran colors. Versatran is a division, if you will, of Skag Power Equipment and their parent company. He will run a full season. This will be the first time Dave Richards has ever competed in a full season. We know he will do it in new equipment because his equipment was destroyed in the late season crash with Dale Creasy. We know that. Tim Wilkerson's car will be out wearing the Skag colors again. I say car because there are some um, murmurs, if you will, some rumors circulating around this situation that may have another driver in the seat of that car for 2024, and that driver may have, um, let's call it, very close ties to Tim Wilkerson. We know that uh, Justin Ashley will be part of this team. Justin Ashley's car will have the Phillips Connect colors on, will have the Skag colors on, and he will be the third of the factory cars fielded. There will be a Skag Pro Stock car that is fielded by Jeg Coughlin Jr. That will be run under the auspices of Elite Motorsports. So in that situation, Skag is sponsoring that car. In the other situation, Skag Power Equipment is effectively, as best as we understand it, the owner of the equipment that will be on the factory team. Now, let's take another step into that direction. If you remember correctly, these were the Maynard Wilkerson cars, and these were the Maynard Ashley car. Maynard Wilkerson being the funny car that had an ownership stake of Joe Maynard and Tim Wilkerson. The Maynard Ashley top fuel dragster ownership stake by Joe Maynard and the Ashley family. The understanding I have, and again, I say the understanding I have to maintain clarity here because there's been no official announcement on anybody buying stuff, but what it certainly seems to have happened here is that Skag Power Equipment has purchased the majority interest in Tim Wilkerson's car, has purchased the majority interest in Justin Ashley's car, has purchased the majority interest in the Richards operation, and that is why they are henceforth known as a factory team. So where does this leave everybody? Where does this leave anybody? For a lot of respects, it leaves everybody in the same place they were, aside from Tony Schumacher not having the primary backing of Skag Power Equipment or, frankly, any backing from Skag Power Equipment anymore. Um, they will have Leatherwood Distillery on the car. They have other sponsors. Uh, Okuma will be on that race car. And they are, of course, working to continue to fill the flanks of that top fuel dragster with uh, names and sponsorship for the 2024 season. If you look at the Maynard Racing announcement, uh, they are committed to running the full year. This is not a situation where they're going to start something and then stop it. They are going to run the full season. They will be out there at every race. Tony Schumacher will be in a car that is better than it was when it started in 2023 because it was better than it was when it ended 2023. He'll come out in 24, seemingly anyway, with a better package than he did earlier in the year. I believe he will also be coming out in 2024 with a bullseye set on at least one top field dragster in that field 
And I think we are, in my opinion, because of the way this whole thing may be shaking out, um, on the precipice of seeing a very interesting uh, kind of multi-tiered rivalry kick up between these two operations. Um, I think in racing, in any business, whenever we talk about whether it's sponsorship, whether it's support, whether it's advertising, whether it's crew chiefs, whether it's crew members, when these shifts happen, they don't typically happen with everybody hugging and kissing on the cheek and then leaving and going off to their separate directions. There is typically some strife involved. I can't speak to what any specific strife there may be. I can speak very vaguely to the fact that uh, that J- JCM Racing, as well as Tony Schumacher, had every intention in the world of fielding a Skag top fuel dragster this year, and now they are not doing that. So when you end a season and go into an off season with expectations and they change seemingly instantly, uh, that does not typically leave people with the warmest and fuzziest of feelings. So those things being said, um, I am still planning on having Tony Schumacher on the NHRA Insider, um, and I hope we do be able to do that you know, sooner rather than later and, and um, to get his kind of take on, on what's gone on and what is going on and going forward. But to reiterate, that team is intact for all intents and purposes. We've not heard of anybody leaving. We've not heard of anybody being released. We've not heard of any crew chief changes. That JCM Racing top fuel team is as it was when it ended the season. The other two teams, as far as we know, are as they were in terms of personnel and people when they ended 2023. The one main thing we may be talking about here, potentially, is a driver change on the Wilkerson front, and we're going to talk to Tony Pedragon a little bit more about that. Other certain uh, time kind of line things going on here. The uh, famed Wally Parks Timing Tower at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park is being taken down this week. It is being replaced by a more modern tower with some more modern amenities that are going to be uh, pretty cool. There's going to be an expansion of the luxury boxes above the grandstands on the left-hand side of that racetrack. But the famed uh, 40 years ago, that, that tower went up, I believe, in 1984. It served its, it served its purpose well. Um, and it will be replaced with a more modern building. Um, I have requested a piece of that building because it is a big part of, of my life in the sport of drag racing and um, really for so many others. If you ever run down that racetrack, that iconic squared-off building with the blacked-out windows, it is uh, forever going to live just like the old DA Tower lives in all those old indie pictures. So will the Wally Parks Tower live in the modern pictures of drag racing. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about some different things that are going on here. Um, any adjustments being made within some of the teams. I want to talk to Tony Pedragon about the timeline of what goes on from now until race cars start hitting the racetrack and kind of all that good stuff. So that's the kickoff of 2024 up to the minute that I have going in. This is January 2nd, a Tuesday morning coming off of the new year, and we're going to get things kicked off in royal fashion. When we come back, Tony Pedragon. The opening guest of the show will join me here on this first episode of The Insider for 2024. Don't go anywhere. And we are back here on this first episode of The NHRA Insider for 2024, joined by Tony Pedragon. What's going on, Tony? Good morning. I'm recovering from a week in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Chili Bowl. Yeah, how'd things go out there? You and uh, and your son went dirt racing. Yeah, I took Desi uh, for the first time. He was there because of his grades. Just to clarify that, and uh, Anthony DeSero put a good car together, and, and he raced in the uh, A-stock uh, wing and non-wing, but it was a great experience, you know, and, and every time I, I do something like this, if I go to a football game, I always come back realizing that 
you know, the experience that a person has, it, you know, it lasts a lifetime. I mean, the fact that I was able to, to take him to yeah. spend time with him, he was competitive. That part of it was great. Uh, you know, but just being there at Chili Bowl and seeing the history, you know, I've watched it on, on the, the stream for the last several years, but uh, being there is definitely a different experience. And it always reminds me that anyone that watches the drag race, they have to, they have to see it to believe it. I have to guess uh, it might have been a little intimidating for him at first, but he settled into it pretty well. Yeah, he did. You know, it wasn't it, until I got there. There's a competitive nature with all of us that are <laughs> yeah. in, involved in this sport, some worse than others. And I didn't realize till we got there that, you know, that is the biggest race of the year. That is where all the talent converges at the end of the year to compete. So they're the best drivers in the country. And I threw him into the mix without any practice. And and he did he did very good. He transferred out of one of the uh, E mains. He got second. Nice. And you know, and again, the goal was just to be competitive. And I can't ask for any more than that. You know, it was um, I, as I mentioned in the kind of monologue to open this show. You know, normally Tony, we have this week. You know, of of all the weeks we have over the course of a year, the week be- between Christmas and New Year's tends to be very very quiet um, for everything. You know, really, it, it's really we never really hear about much happening, and um, that was not the case this year. And, and I think I want to start off with a couple of the names, of course, that came up. The, the, the passing of Don Schumacher, the passing of Roland Leong, you know, and, and Sherm Gunn passed away. Um, and then it just kind of didn't stop. Mike Kopchak of, of Rage Fuel Systems passed away. But I'm wondering if you have any good Roland Leong stories over the course of your uh, drag racing life. Well, I mean, the guy was a legend, even yeah. even when uh, I would see him in the later years, you know, anytime, you know, I grew up in the era of, you know, the mid 70s, you know, I was building all the Ravel models. Sure. And, you know, he was right there in the mix with uh, the snake and the mongoose and Ed McCullough. And then it was the Hawaiian. So what, what an iconic person. But he was he was a really neat character. I know that he's always been close with the Okaharas. And I, I, I think I always had that that connection, that Hawaiian connection with him. But anytime I saw him, it was always rolling, approaching me and telling me some of those stories. So, um you know, it's it's a shame that uh, you know that that some of those racers are no longer with us. But you know, I look back, and it, it always reminds me. I look back at this sport, and 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 individuals like Roland Leon uh, that have passed away, and and uh, and even Tom McEwen. Uh, when I started driving, and you know, Ron Caps, there's a, a handful of drivers that drove for a guy named John Mitchell. And I used to call John just periodically, even after I I started driving for Force and you know, started my career in racing. And, you know, occasionally, even even all these years later, occasionally I think about him. And, and the first, I was so conditioned to calling him, you know, once a month, every other month, I still stay connected with Larry Miner. Um, and I think about calling John Mitchell, and, and it's just a quick thought. And, and I think for Roland Leon, it's going to be the same. I think that we're going to expect to see him at some yeah. races. But, you know, his, his memory, his spirit is always going to be there. And uh, what what a great individual that that moved the needle in this sport. He really did. And you know, I we put together a kind of a top five video that's going to come out uh, from NHRA's social media over the next week or so. And you know, you go back over this guy's career and in the early days of you know him and Snake sweeping the the two race sixty five season. He comes back sweeps the two race sixty six season with Mike Snively and. Um, you know, and, and it caused at that time in history, it caused Don Prodome to question himself because he thought, geez, maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am with this damn car as just continues to crush everybody. But to me, the most impressive thing about that guy was even into the nineties, you know, when he, they were setting those speed records with, um, 
when when he had Jim White driving that car and you know we ran I found some some really cool video and that thing was running about 290 miles an hour nobody had run that fast yet and he beats John Force in in Maple Grove one year and they had an in-car camera in Force's car in the final and friggin' Jim White just drove away. I mean, it's really unbelievable. So the guy was he was so sharp, and he was able to stay on top of stuff for so many years. It's really, to me, what impressed me most about uh, about Roland. Yeah, he really hit on some things, you know, back in that era, and even when he worked for Prudhomme with the with the Cope team. Yeah, you know, that was a very formative. That's when I started driving for Force, and and there were plenty of times that uh, I saw the front end of that Cope car, unfortunately. <laughs> I was with arguably the best team in the history of drag racing. So, uh, you know, Roland Leon, he definitely uh, left his mark in this sport. Yeah, and uh, and by all accounts, uh, by all accounts, a pretty good guy as well. And you know, known for that just litany of drivers he had through his cars, and uh, just a, a great history. And you know, for Don Schumacher, I mean, this is a guy who really you can't overstate what he did to transform this sport. Um, you know, introducing the things he did, the way he did it, really. We're not looking at the NHRA in 2024 the same way if Don Schumacher doesn't come in and really change what being a team owner was in this sport, right? I mean, the way hospitality operates. I mean, the model that he created is still the one that the majority of people out there, even the independents, are using today. You can go back, again, in the history of the sport, there have always been super teams. You know, you can go back to, I think it was Jack Rouse when he used to roll in with that ramp trailer yes. and a couple of pro stock cars on it and then another one and another one. So there've always been multiple car teams, but I think what Don Schumacher did was he did it bigger and better than anyone in the history of the sport. When you talk about the multiple champions um, that, that he, that he built the championships that he built and the championship winning drivers that, that he gave an opportunity to it, It's really, it's, it's going to go down in history unmatched. Um, you know, when you look at Don and even, and, and this is how his legacy will always continue because he opened the door for Antron Brown. He opened the door for Ron Caps. I mean, he, yeah. he transitioned them from drivers to owners. And, and if you look back, you know, I always, <clears throat> I always wondered how, you know, how that worked. None of my business, no, nobody's business, how a sponsor, you know, you have a sponsorship, you're a team owner, you have a non-compete. Okay. That's just a normal thing that, that uh, owner has to do to protect itself. And I think that Don just out of the, out of the goodness of his heart, but, but not entirely that it was a business decision that he made. I think he looked into the future and said, look, you know, this is, these are the times he had a very good relationship with those guys and, and he opened the door. However, they negotiated the business aspect yeah. of it. It's like, he said, here are the keys guys. This is the business you're going to still you're going to set up shop. I'm going to rent you the space. You're going to, you're going to buy this hospitality. You're going to have access to the machine shop, <clears throat> but you guys will now own these teams. And, and that's really unheard of. It, it is unheard of for drivers to be able to make that transition. But however Don envisioned it, however he did it, uh, that, that is the greatness of, of a person. And I know beyond that, you know, people can say insiders, you know, can say that it worked for Don. I, I used to hear, I never worked for him. I never drove for him, but I knew him and I had many conversations with him and Don Schumacher could be tough. And I think yeah. that was one of the things that a lot of people will tell you. He could be tough when the car didn't perform, but look, those are the expectations of, of any good professional high level team owner. It's yeah. no different than uh, an owner in the NBA, the NFL in NASCAR in IndyCar 
And you love him or hate him, I, I think Don Schumacher is going to be loved. He's going to be remembered for a long, long time because as long as we see a lot of those drivers, a lot of those tuners and crew members that he gave an opportunity to and built careers for, we're going to think of Don Schumacher. Yeah, I mean, look, we're not talking about Tony Stewart racing a top fuel car next year without Don Schumacher and the transition that, that they went through to, to, to get their hands on those teams. And to your point, I think the, the the most amazing part of it is, and it's the underappreciated part right now because it's the, you know, people don't look at it in this way, but we will in 10, 15 years, is that a lot of times when we look at a race team, it's like, well, the team folded up and it went away and the guy had his run and now it's over. That What you talked about is the big difference here is that this is a guy who is smart enough to look around and see the world and how the world is working kind of shifting. And he saw what everybody else saw was that like the model of the big multi-single guy owning all these cars is not the way that the future is. But the brilliance of his plan was that he created this infrastructure that is still a way for that organization to continue to make money. Like you said, they don't race for Don Schumacher anymore, but they rent the damn building from him and they buy the damn parts he makes. And it's like that's the smarts to me where it's like being able to navigate the, the, the future as he saw it and then being able to not like let his ego get in the way and just say, you know what? No, screw this. I'm just selling everything and I'm closing the doors and you guys are out, out to, out to, to lunch. So, um, I thought that's great. And I think the second thing to your point is, you know, I've compared him with some interviews to, to George Steinbrenner and I am by no means a Yankees fan, but, but George Steinbrenner transformed the game of baseball, the way he ran the Yankees and turned the Yankees in, in the modern day into just a machine that went on a, you know, a tear for decades plus of just winning all these championships. And he did it with the same way. The guy was relentless. And, you know, you and I talk about this all the time that like a lot of people don't a lot of the general fans don't necessarily understand how serious people take this. They think it's a hobby and they think it's a, a game that people are out here playing. But let it be known that Don Schumacher did not treat it that way. And that's why the team amassed almost 370 wins and all those freaking championships and every other damn thing they did over the years, because he kept people accountable and it wasn't comfortable. You know, this as well as I do, you've been in the room when some of those crew chiefs would get the text messages on a Sunday afternoon when they lose early. And it would just be, you know, Don was famous for these single word text messages you know, if, if I was I was in many, a, I've been in many a holler on a Saturday night when the car didn't qualify well, and the crew chief looks down and says, "Oh man, I just got a text from Don," and he opens his phone, and it's one word, and it says "sad." <laughs> you know, it's Brian. It's it's so classic that those were the expectations, yeah. and and all he wanted was he wanted answers. Yeah, because everybody he has to answer, he has to report to all those sponsors. And, and, and I, I just, I, I got such a kick out of that because, you know, for anyone that, that, you know, wanted to be in this high level, uh, high stakes game of racing, uh, they, I don't think they really ever saw anything like that from anyone else. But yeah. the other thing that Don will leave is, you know, he taught a business to, yes. you know, to Ron Kraft, to Antron, not just the two of them, but to everyone that was around him that spent time with them. So he developed a business model, a way of doing things. So those guys understand that they're gonna they're gonna write their own their own script in the way that they want. But but they learned from arguably one of the greatest that that ever stepped into this sport of drag racing in terms of business as a competitor, as a driver. He just Don understood every aspect of the sport, and I think that's why his expectations were so high. And I I, I loved it. I, I loved 
hearing those stories and the fact that this guy is putting a little bit of pressure in a very unique way yeah. on you know on his personnel and and if you do that you you see the instant results it's not yeah. just about hey we got we got beat let's uh, we get our, we know our paycheck's going to show up friday and let's go to dinner let's get a steak no he gave them something to think about and by all means that is the way that it should work yep guy uh the guy's name will be uh, forever associated with success and greatness in this sport and by all means the machining aspect the machine you know company that he built there now they're doing crate engines they do all kinds of uh, military contract work i mean that that thing is set to run for for god only knows how long and that big shop um on what is it northfield drive in indianapolis will continue to house a whole lot of drag racing teams uh well into the future um, let's talk a little bit about before we get into really the big story of the week. I want to ask a simple question, and that is, what is what is the first day back in the shop look like for teams right now? It's January second. We're coming off winter break. As these teams rolled into work this morning, is it a team meeting to start things off? Is it a you know because we come off of this kind of afterglow period after the season? We go to PRI, we do this, we do that, we have our holiday party, but now is when the work starts, right? And what does that work on day one? The, the real work starts now. I think a lot of teams set uh, things in motion, a lot of teams that didn't have a lot of rollover. And I think some of those meetings took place. But the real work starts today. That's when they're back in, the holidays are done, they're history. And now everyone sees the new faces, the changes that are in place, and, and communication. Now, sometimes you know some of the team meetings, for some of them, tend to be a little redundant, but that over-communication is going to be, is going to be very crucial for a lot of these teams. And, you know, I, I think that, um, it's, it's interesting because I think if they're not to that point, then I, I think they're going to see, we're going to see the effect. You know, they say that I know in sports, uh, these athletes will tell you that, you know, the more prepared that you are, the, the more things slow down. If yeah. you can vision what it's going to be like, wall-to-wall people at the Gator Nationals and, and all this commotion, and for the drivers, all this media attention, media day and all the information, the interviews, the spots that, that we're, we're going to need yeah. for the TV show, uh, all the shots, the more prepared that they are, it's, it's going to be a walk in the park. But for the ones that aren't, for the ones that are off fishing, golfing, who knows what they're doing, maybe in the Bahamas, they're, they're going to be a little overwhelmed. And it is going to show on the racetrack. may not show up in the first round or second round. And if it doesn't show up at Gainesville, it's going to be at the next race or two. So this is just a time of the year that everyone shouldn't be starting to get prepared today. The good ones already started this process, and today they're up and running and working. How soon in as a team owner, because you've watched this happen in front of your own eyes, you make some hires, you know, you, you, you hire new people, you get things going, you show up to work in earnest. Now, how quickly do you understand that a, I either hired a great guy here or B, I have made a big mistake. Does it show itself this early? It does, but you know, you give it a little bit of time and it sure does rear its head after the first race, yeah. you know, so that's, it's, it's, if it's a new hire, yeah. um, you know, a lot of times some of these teams are kind of recycling some of these crew members, yeah. you know, some of them that have been there and done that, but they have a level of experience and, and that's what teams are looking for. And, you know, and I'm not even going to say that it's, it's not a bad decision 
because, and we've seen this on the track, we've seen this play out in front of us all the time, uh, many times. It, it's all about chemistry. Yeah. You can take someone that really, you know, maybe they got let go a year ago from, from a big team, and you wonder why. And maybe they had some issues. You give them another opportunity, and it could be a different story. But you always have to manage, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to manage these people. But if you yeah. put them in a different environment and you're able to manage it, you've got yourself a guy with good experience. So, I, you know, that, that could go both ways. But there, nothing will replace experience. And, and, of course, for the new ones, as long as they have someone overseeing them and walking them through the process before, during, and after. Uh, and I've been around some good tuners uh, that, that have worked for me yeah. that are able to do that. They supervise them. They show them everything. They'll go off and they'll, they'll keep an eye on whoever's uh, building superchargers to make sure the clearances and tolerances are good there. And then they're going to go back and check on the, the new guy that's building short blocks. So, you know, the, the, that's the benefit of having a good team and, and having good leadership and good management is <clears throat> if they're overseeing everything, <clears throat> not much is going to slip through the cracks. Yeah, and to your point, I guess, like you said, the really the real litmus test here is that first race. I mean, you can drill somebody at the shop. You can go through your service routine 120 times on the stopwatch and get everything timed out, but when you're at the racetrack and when it's either 50 degrees or 30 degrees or 90 degrees and you have to do it in the heat of battle, I guess that's when you really understand what you're, uh, what you're working with in terms of the, the base level team. Um, you know, the major topic I want to get into here, and, and it's one that I talked about in the monologue, and I think we can share what we know at this point, is this whole Skag factory team development and obviously Skag being away now from JCM Racing – Skag apparently buying JCM Racing or Joe Maynard out of the interest he had in a couple of cars. I mean, this is a pretty wild story, and it's a very, in my opinion, late-breaking story for an offseason. We typically hear about this stuff at the very early part of the offseason or even late in the regular season. It just goes to show you that, you know, you can have contracts, you can have a handshake. You know, handshake is, they say, a verbal agreement is just as binding as as a as a signature on a piece of paper but it just goes to show you that that the movement and how things and how quickly things can change in this sport and and there's another there's another partnership that was born in that DSR building it was that partnership but you know it's it's just it's so last minute you know fortunately it sounds like like um, Joe Maynard it has the capability of of not just folding up and yeah. saying well sponsor's gone so am i that that doesn't seem to be the case uh you know fortunately there have been some team owners that you know have had some pretty healthy wallets it, it, but there's only it can only be done for a certain yeah, amount of time right and i talk about this all the time we've seen very wealthy very successful team owners and after you blast through a couple million bucks, they start asking questions. So their wife starts asking questions. Yeah. Or their grandkids start asking questions. Right. And uh, so it can only be done for for so long. Uh, it, it seems for this team. But the good news is, is they're, they're, they still are committed to running yeah. the season. I'm going to be very aggressive looking, you know, for for a company to fill in that void. Um, I, I don't know that it's going to affect the team's performance. You know, as yeah. long as they financially have access to you know to the to the parts the pieces that they had at the end of the year uh, that car was knocking on the door not quite a top five car 
but a legitimate top 10 car that showed signs of of knocking on the door of course the driver no no question he can compete uh within the top five and top fuel and top fuel in the top top five in this era that's that's saying something. That's a very, very tough top five. Yeah, look, and it, it was it was a it was a way better car to end the season than it was to start the season last year. And you know, he had that big first round hole shot uh, upset win over Justin Ashley and, and Maple Grove, and and you know that that thing did did rear its head a few times, as you mentioned, in a positive fashion uh, near the end of the year. You know, knowing the guy that uh, that Tony Schumacher is, you know him, and I know him pretty well. Um, uh, you know, in, in private conversation, I can tell you he's not too excited about this. Uh, he is going to come on this show, and in fact, it may end up being at the end of this episode or probably next week. But for a guy like him, uh, he is the type of guy that will definitely use this as motivation in so many ways. I mean, you can't tell me every time he lines up next to that other car that is going to carry the name that he had on his car last year that he is not going to be fired up beyond fired up. That's how this guy operates. One thing you can really appreciate about Tony Schumacher is he plays the part. He plays it well. He he conducts himself in a very professional way. He is very well prepared for an interview, what to say, how to yeah. say it. And it's not just because he's been there and done that so many times. You don't. You can be in the business twenty years and 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 not really say what you want to say. And twenty years later, you're going to be spitting out the same mess. That's not the case. <laughs> yeah. With Tony Schumacher, this is one guy that physically is prepared. I think mentally he is always ready. And and the one thing you can really appreciate, Tony, is he understands what is at hand. When he has competed against some of the better cars, knowing that his car isn't where they would like for it to be yet, I'm not going to say that he rolls the dice, but he really gets up for it. He makes up the difference on the starting line. That won him several races this year, the year before, uh, this past year. And, um, you know, and I think that's, that's the mark of a championship winning driver because he understands what he has to do. He has a strategy and then he executes it. So, you know, when I think about Tony Schumacher can never underestimate a guy like that because he could take a car that's not so good and make it better. That's the mark of a champion. And look, this may usher in because again, you know, as I mentioned in the monologue of the show, when, when stuff like this happens, it typically doesn't happen with everybody hugging each other and kissing on the cheek and going their separate ways. Like typically when something of this magnitude happens on a financial level, there are feelings that are bruised or hurt in some way. So it has been a very long time since we have had kind of an owner rivalry. And I think really it's John Force and, and Don Schumacher on that level. But this to me is a different thing because you have two guys who are literal pure team owners like neither joe maynard nor randy glady of of skag power equipment have have raced a top fuel dragster or raced on a professional level so they are here as pure owners and i gotta believe guys with that much that much cheese that much jack that much dough to make moves like this also probably have a pretty good healthy uh want to beat each other's brains in when it comes to the racetrack they are also fans, and I, I think that's very important. Yeah. And that's a great thing for us, but uh, by all means, this is what we need. This is what the sport has been built on. It's, it's, it's about competition, not just on the racetrack, but with the sponsors. We saw it with John Force and Don Schumacher, and there were a lot of people that benefited yes. financially from that rivalry, from the fact that they're two successful team owners, and they want the talent, 
and they're willing to pay for it. And, you know, the end result was there's still the after effects. There's some guys that are still getting paid very, very handsomely yeah. for that. So the fact that there is going to be a rivalry with these two owners, I think it's a great thing because if it plays out, I don't know how, what, uh, what their personality is like. Maybe I have a pretty good idea of, of what one of them's personality is, but uh, you know, anytime, anytime that we can capture any of that, I think it's, it's genuine. It's real. There's a story behind it and we'll see how it plays out. It may just play out with the drivers and the teams on the racetrack. Yeah. I mean, yeah, these are definitely both guys who over the course of their lives in business and other things have played to win at all times. And I don't think that's going to quit anytime soon. The one thing I hinted at, and I want to know if you've heard the same thing I've heard, is that the one thing that may change here may involve Tim Wilkerson's car, and the, the murmurs, the rumors are that there may be a driver change in that car. Tim coming out of the seat being the tuner, the person coming into the seat, um, again, not to not to jump over any hoops or jump, jump through some things I can't say, uh, let's just say very well known to Tim. Have you been hearing the similar thing, a familiar name to end up in that seat and potentially Tim as the crew chief? That that rumor has been floating around for a while. It kind of fizzled out, and I think it fizzled out because the former uh, team owner that had the majority of the interest in that team uh, didn't didn't want that change, wanted Tim yeah. to stay in the seat, and you know the new majority team owner wants wants that he wants this he wants to make the switch. He wants to get the youth in the car. Uh, that's going to affect another successful team that, uh, that finished in the top five in terms of tuning. But, you know, they're going to move some people around. It may be a lateral change. I think it's still going to operate uh, or be tuned under yeah. one umbrella. Yeah. But I think it's going to be real interesting. I don't know that we'll see any any performance enhancement in terms of, of what we see on the racetrack. That may be a lateral move. Could be wrong, but... You know, I, when you look at the Skag Funny Car, um, it it it's not as consistent as as some of the you know some of the cars that are in the top five. Uh, they're always good to win at least one, maybe a couple of races in the course of the year. Um, but I think if you can make an improvement in the seat, that car could potentially be in the winner's circle a lot more. And and you know, time will tell. I could be wrong, uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see if there is going to be a driver change at this stage, it seems like to be, it seems to be a very strong uh, and accurate rumor that we're hearing. And then the last thing on this front, uh, Dave Richards is going to run the full season for the first time in his career. And that's been an aspiration for that family for many, many years to do that. We saw them more than we ever had last year. Uh, and then of course they had the very unfortunate incident where they got just run into by Dale Creasy and their stuff all got destroyed. Um, that said, they're going to start the season with a much more modern car, and I'm guessing much more modern pieces attached to it than they ended the year with. So, you know, these guys are kind of going to be going on the adventure of a lifetime, and as a side benefit for us, we get another full-time funny car out of the deal. Yeah, and I think that's a great thing. I, it's a great opportunity yeah. for, for that team, for that driver, for that family uh, to run, to run uh, an entire year. I think what's going to be important for them is that they get the proper personnel. Yeah. I mean, we saw that car. Now, granted, uh, we didn't see them on a regular basis. But even when we did, we saw a lot of, um, a lot of mistakes uh, that take place during the service. And, and when that happens, we see it on the racetrack. So it's hard to tune a car that isn't assembled properly. It is not built properly. Whoever's tuning the car, it just it makes it so much more difficult for them 
to to set the car up to go down the track. So I think I think what happens in the pit and the personnel uh, and you know I'm sure that's one of the first things that they're going to look at is look we have the capability of running the entire year now we just we have to fund it and that's not the reason they were taken out of competition they were taken out right. of competition because there was a driver that I, I think there were some issues they were I don't think they were ever addressed and and unfortunately Dave Richard paid uh, Dave Richards paid the price that's the reason that they yeah. weren't in competition but I, I think I you, we did see some some slow uh, improvements with that team but if, if they can improve the personnel and, uh, and you know, of course, better equipment. Uh, I think that's that's a good thing for the level of competition in Funny Car. Yeah, and the repetition of service in that car week in and week out too should help them as well. I think it's difficult on a part-time basis when you get you know these kind of fits and starts when you run a couple of races and you're off for several weeks or a month or two months and then you jump back in. So uh, the Richards car being full-time will be great, and again, it adds uh, adds to our full-time Funny Car count. So. Um, I guess the last thing I want to bring up, man, they're knocking the tower down at Indy this week. Kind of a bittersweet thing. I mean, it's going to be good to have the new building, but it's going to be crummy to lose our – I mean, we have the best vantage point in the whole joint when we call the U.S. Nationals, so I guess we'll always have that to remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to drive by. I've been driving by there every week thinking that it was going to get tore down, and I thought, yeah, hey, that same building's still up. So uh, I think uh, – It's going I'm tomorrow. Gonna, yeah, yeah, I, I – um, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a it's a big part of the history of that track, but I think it's great to see and to know that uh, that management is investing. They have a vision. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is if this is in fact the premier race uh, of the year, and it is. It always has been. It always will be. Uh, might have some some challenges because Gainesville is going to be pretty big, and and uh, you know, so will Pomona. But um, you know, if this is if this is our home base. Uh, or race central, I should say, uh, by all means, we should have a better facility. It should reflect what we promote at that event. So that's a good thing. Well, man, great to catch up with you. Uh, congratulations on the fun you guys had at Tulsa at the shootout out there, and uh, congratulations for uh, the driver development, the homespun driver development plan you got going on there. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, there's nothing better, Brian. And I, you know, I, it's it's interesting because you go to the Chili Bowl, you go to any any racing event, even a sporting event. And there's so many parallels. And I think for me, when I brought my son up in karting, you could you could buy into a team, uh, but there there is there is something to say about someone that can build it, especially with their as as a family together and go to the track. I remember taking him to one of the big kart races and rolling up on a with my Ford pickup with a little open trailer, looking at these 53 foot feather lights with these you know 15 drivers and all these engines lined up and when you can outperform them it, it it's a really neat feeling when you do something like that and it just when i went to the chili bowl i was listening to the announcers they did a good job and you know brian the best thing about it was they were calling out some of the drivers they were calling it like they saw it and i think they've been doing this for years and years and it just it confirmed that how you, the the approach that you and i take the approach that management allows us and the perspective that they allow us to provide to our viewer is is not just the right way, but it is the only way to continue to grow this sport. So it was a good experience, but when I'm at even the Chili Bowl, I'm thinking of how much bigger and better this sport, and this year is going to be starting at Gainesville. It totally is, man. Well, hey, uh, enjoy your time out there in uh, Indianapolis. I know you're wrenching in your own shop on your project out there, and uh, we'll be keeping in touch and catching up with any news breaks. 
When we come back, I will either be coming back with my final thoughts for this episode or I'll be coming back with Tony Schumacher. As we're making this show and as I'm in communication with Tony Pedragon, I'm actually communicating back and forth with Schumacher, trying to coordinate whether we can get him on today or next week. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here in the Insider to either close this episode up or kick it into another gear with Tony Schumacher. We'll be right back. All right, we are back to close this episode of the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher, unfortunately, timeline did not line up to get him on the show this week, but uh, we are going to have him on the NHRA Insider very shortly to get his perspective on the changes that have occurred with JCM Racing, uh, with the Skag deal, all of that stuff. We're going to talk to him soon, hopefully in next week's NHRA Insider. Uh, great episode here today, recapping certainly some of the biggest news that's happened over the last week and a half or so in the sport, and we'll continue to keep you updated in this offseason of all the big stories that are coming together as teams are now in the shop working in earnest to prepare themselves for the 2024 NHRA Mission Drag Racing Series. It is officially that time, and we are back for the Insider. Episode 1 of 2024, we got dozens more coming at you this year. We're going to be live at the racetrack a bunch more like we were last year and continue that tradition as well. Thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time here on the NHRA Insider Podcast.